0: It's Aubrey Sampson here, and just like you, I have dealt with a lot of big feelings and heartache in my life. Mostly, I've written about lament and grief for a grown-up audience, but we all know, especially here at Nothing Is Wasted, that adults do not have a monopoly on strong, difficult emotions. And so I have turned my attention to writing about big feelings for little ones with a brand new children's book called Big Feelings Days a book about hard things, heavy emotions, and Jesus' love. We all know that children have a lot of emotions and feeling sad or angry or brokenhearted can be overwhelming. That's why it's so important to help the kids in our lives understand that their feelings are valuable and normal and that they can creatively express what they feel to Jesus who created emotions and deeply cares about everyone. Big Feelings Days is a tender and engaging picture book that helps children ages three to seven learn how to release their feelings of grief, anger, and heartbreak in creative ways to our God who cares. This picture book includes full-color illustrations, and they are darling, relatable imagery to help children express and identify emotions and creative ways for children to process their feelings with Jesus. Even now, you can be helping your kids develop emotional health, or your grandkids, your nieces and nephews, those kids you love, you can help them begin to develop emotional health and emotional intelligence as they learn to come to Jesus with whatever they may be feeling. And a little secret between us, this book helps adults as well. You can pre-order it wherever it is you pre-order your book. It comes out on October 17th. If you go to navpress.com, you'll find the book for 20% off for our Nothing is Wasted listeners. You can also follow me at obsamp on Instagram for more information.
1: Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, where we believe
2: that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take
3: back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and
1: Aubrey Sampson.
2: Well, hello and welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Davey Blackburn. And joining me again, our guest co-host and extraordinaire, <laughs> right, Swiss Army Knife extraordinaire, Amy Sylvester. Maybe I should introduce you to Amy, the Swiss Army Knife Sylvester. Oh my goodness,
4: that's funny, Davey.
2: <laughs> uh, Amy, good to have you back on with me.
4: Oh, I'm so excited to be here, Davey. It's um, it's an honor to get to be on the podcast with you.
2: Well, you do so much work on the podcast behind the scenes. It's about time we had you on to help <laughs> me host this, and uh, we've got a great conversation today. Actually, Eric had uh, Eric uh, Shoemaker had a great conversation with Doug McKelvey and Ned Bustard. and you know, it's really interesting. I think the Lord does this a lot in my life, especially as we're being introduced to more and more people, fascinating people. Uh on the podcast, but it's like he'll introduce me. I did This happened a few weeks ago, if you guys recall, with Andrew Peterson, and I'm Googling, trying to find something for Weston, and then boom, you know, his books pop up, and then we have him on the podcast. Well, uh, just a few months ago, Christy and I were on the 700 Club, and the producer for that particular episode, he was like, have you ever heard of this book, uh, Every Moment Holy, or the volumes of books? And I'm like, no, I've never heard of that. And he was like, well, let me, oh, you know what? I've got one in my car. Let me bring it. So he like, brings it to me, gives it to me. And he starts telling me about this, that it's just like a, almost like a modern day Psalms in a lot of ways, but it's a liturgical guide for specific you know, um, seasons of life. And the one that he gave me is this one right here and it's volume number two and it's on death, grief, and hope. And so I think he assumed that I had you know come across it with my story and everything. And I'm like, man, I'd never, but as I'm reading through it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Well, Lo and behold, the authors of this, or you know, particularly the main author of this, Doug McKelvey. We are interviewing him today on the Nothing Is mm-hmm. Ways podcast. Yeah. And I just think it's just so funny how and providential how God does this. It's like the, it all loops maybe that's back around, how he's trying Davey. to get my attention. You know, he's like, <laughs> you need to read this. You need to slow down, Davey, and mm-hmm. read this. I don't know. I don't know if that's how God gets people's attention or not.
4: Yeah. I, he does. It, I feel like that happens. It's almost like there's these little crumbs, these little hints, those little nods from the Lord when he's trying to teach us something. You know, sometimes yeah. it's, a, you know, bam, God's teaching you something. And sometimes it's more um, subtle, you know, yeah. these little hints. And so.
2: Yeah, um, I know. Yeah. Well, they, these two, this conversation's a little bit different. Um, it's unique because I would call these two men, they're they're like Renaissance men. I mean, they are <laughs> extremely educated, very scholarly -hmm. Very diverse in their interests. I mean, just let me let me just for instance, Doug McKelvey. He um, he has penned more than 350 lyrics and released those by various artists, artists including maybe you've heard of some of these artists: Switchfoot, (laughs) Kenny Rogers, Sanctus Real, Jason Gray.
4: Wide variety.
2: Yeah, so he's an incredible songwriter, also an incredible. Writer. He's got several other books that he has written. And then Ned is a graphic designer, illustrator and printmaker for worlds and images. Um, just look, he's on, he serves on the board of the association of scholars of Christianity in the history of art. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, art man. I mean, just extremely intellectual men right here. And, and I'm glad that Eric took this conversation because I feel like he, He is, uh, he runs in that vein of thought. Like he could just go toe to toe with these guys. I'd probably feel completely lost (laughs) trying to, you know, uh, ask the appropriate questions. But these guys were just, I mean, unbelievably insightful. I think it's funny because, Amy, the joke used to be like, you shouldn't go to college and take out a bunch of school loans to go get an art history degree. Looks like Ned's doing okay for himself.
4: <laughs> Sounds like it. With yeah. his
2: art history <laughs> studies over here.
4: That's right.
2: But um, I think the most important thing, and we'll talk more about this after the conversation, is these these books, Every Moment Holy, are incredible. And whether you're going through a time of grief, loss, pain, or whether you're not, I think it's really important That we have some kind of guide, like Mm -hmm. liturgical literature like this, that's going to help us as we're trying to process through the different circumstances and seasons that we go through in our life.
4: And And Davey, it can, things like liturgy or hearing like, if you didn't grow up in a church that had like a liturgy, like the order of worship was very set and like you did like liturgical prayer each week, that can feel like almost like... um, to, maybe cold
2: or sterile yeah, or, or maybe f- like lifeless? For,
4: foreign. Yeah, yeah. foreign... But I really, because I've kind of been in different camps in my Mm -hmm. own journey of faith in terms of um, different churches and backgrounds. And it's so, I've grown to really appreciate that and that someone could help me when I don't have words for where I am, kind of help me get there. And it's like reading a psalm when I'm not sure how I feel. And I read David's words and I'm like, okay, like this is giving words to my experience. And that's That's some of what we're going to talk about today. Um, And so... It I think is a. yeah, go
2: ahead. Well, I was just gonna say I think it's so important. and and what I, what I've found experientially for me, and I don't know if this I can't necessarily say this is prescriptive. maybe it is. Maybe it's just more descriptive. but we swim in a lot of different streams as we're working with different church leaders and stuff. and we've yeah. been a part of, you know, even in my own history, I've kind of been a part of different types of churches, different types of uh, Christian environments. Mm -hmm. And I've found that, you know, if I move into a space where there's a whole lot more, what you would call free form worship, which Mm -hmm. is the technical term for like, if you go to maybe a charismatic church, it's very emotionally driven in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. or emotionally emphasized. And then, you know, you can swim there, but it's so refreshing and helpful to come back to a more structured liturgical type of worship and you know my kids go to a school a christian school where they sing hymns in chapel every single morning and some mornings I'll stick around after dropping them off and I'll just be there and we're singing these hymns hymns I'd heard long ago right when my mm-hmm. dad's pastor and we're more of a a traditional church and I, it just brings me it brings me to tears yeah. because of the richness of the words yes and then understanding like as I've walked through life and and I it's like I have a deeper understanding of that and so yeah. I, I think it's really important for us to appreciate both sides of those I things. agree.
4: Yeah. And I
2: think this is going to give us a kind of a new, we're kind of introducing to your palate in a lot of ways, uh, um, a different side of, you know, Christian worship expression um, in, in writing and stuff with this conversation. So I think you're going to enjoy I think, this.
4: And it just shows us, how big, shows us how big our God is that, you right. know, He the Lord is receiving our worship of all kinds. And, you know, whether it is in either side of that or in between, or maybe you don't even know how to express yourself in worship, um, that we're all this, we're all learning in that. Right. And so, um, kind of borrowing the words of these authors um, and people in you know, Scripture to give that to us. But I agree, Davey. It's like, I feel like I can meet the Lord at like a huge concert, you mm-hmm. know, almost experience. And then I can also experience Him just like, with quiet meditation mm-hmm. over a, a, one phrase, you know? Right. Um, and so, it,
2: right. I
4: th- yeah, it's a great place to, this is gonna be a good conversation for all of yeah. us.
2: Yeah, Well, Amy, we appreciate you being here. Aubrey right now is mm-hmm. super busy with the release of her new book, Big Feelings Day. Uh, so, this is so a awesome. great, great book. It's, it's a book designed for kids. Even though it's designed for kids, it definitely has Mm -hmm. great, I mean, incredible principles and truths for us as adults too, but it's phenomenal for your kids. I read it to Cohen almost every night. He has already termed certain days of his big feelings days.
4: Oh my goodness, that's goes, so sweet. Like, buddy, are
2: you having a big feelings day right, day right now? He's like... That's so, help- it that's has so been helpful.
4: That's so helpful. He's being equipped, so Davey. That's awesome.
2: Helpful. And then yeah. what Aubrey does masterfully, she helps us to teach our kids and helps them to understand what to do with our big feelings days.
4: That's so good.
2: And so uh, we want to make sure that you pick that up. We'll have a link right there too. And then, Amy, the other thing before we jump into this conversation, we recently have released a mini course called When Everything Changes. Yeah. And you and Aubrey helped me teach that mini course. Mm-hmm. You're in session two of that, right? There's four sessions. You're in session mm-hmm. two. I am, and the stuff that you teach is unbelievable in that session. Thanks. Um, how how was that experience for you, just being being able to dive in and and walk through some of that?
4: Um, I I felt like I was kind of stepping back into my old self because I mm. used to do a lot of teaching and um, other um, parts of my life and discipleship stuff, and um, and so it was really sweet to kind of blend two worlds for me of like, I did a lot of like training and things like that in my younger years with college students and then some time in New York. but i've not done a lot of training around grief i've done a little bit um mm. but it was so good for me to blend like who i am just that i want to help people re- be resourced yeah. but then also be able to convey very clear next steps for someone who is walking in fresh grief cuz mm. i would i wish i ha- i did have that a little bit but i wish i would have had someone say here amy here is like literally what you do tomorrow like yeah. here's a step right. forward right.
2: so it and was that's so what good. distinguishes this course Mm from some of the other resources we have, including the pain to purpose course, you know, pain to purpose is designed for someone who maybe is a little bit further along in their six months after some kind of tragedy is their life or maybe a year. And they're like, okay, I feel like I've got my legs under me again on some level. Now I'm looking for a way forward. Mm -hmm. And this is designed for like immediate, like the immediate aftermath of when something happens in your life. And so it's a great resource to give to a friend or a family member. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it, and I mean, Amy, you do an incredible job. Aubrey does an incredible job. Yeah,
4: it's a great course.
2: This is called When Everything Changes, Navigating the Early Days of Loss, Trauma, and Tragedy. You can access that on our Community Plus platform if you want to be a Community Plus member. You can also buy it a la carte if you want to just purchase the mini course on our store right there. But I want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to go and and pick that up. And then if you're looking to take a next step, we have a free uh, Zoom call called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story no matter what you've gone through. I teach that. It's a great time for us to interact. This is a Zoom call, not a webinar, so we actually interact with each other. I'd love to invite you on that. You can register for the next one, nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Okay, we're going to dive into the conversation. Amy, it's going to be a great one. I can't wait. You guys take lots of notes. You'll need to go back and revisit these notes, I'm sure. Doug McKelvey and Ned Buster. You guys go ahead and listen to Eric's conversation with those two gentlemen.
3: Hey friends, this is your host, Eric Shoemaker, and I'm excited to welcome you to another episode of the Nothing is Wasted podcast. And I'm particularly excited to have on the two guests that we have today that you have just heard about, Douglas Kane McKelvey and Ned Bustard. Um, Author, uh, Doug's an author and well, all sorts of things that were just described. And Ned is a Fantastic uh, artist and uh, creative type. And uh, together, they have partnered on the books you just heard about, but I want to hold them up. Um, Every Moment Holy, uh, which is a book of liturgies for every moment, Uh, all sorts of things in life to help you think through them, uh, engage with the Lord in the things that you're experiencing in life. And I have found it to be just a wonderful gift. I love liturgy. Um, I was raised in a liturgical church. I am a Baptist now who has introduced liturgy into the corporate worship of our church and always uh, find it to be a beneficial uh, practice and resource, uh, volume three of the Every Moment Holy series is coming out soon. Um, another uh, volume on the work of the people, and we'll hear a little bit more about that later on. Uh, but the episode, the, the episode, the volume that we're going to focus on today is uh, volume two which I have found particularly helpful in the last few years, which is focused on death, grief, and hope. And I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, But for now, Ned and Doug, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. It's good to be here. So, why don't you uh, just introduce yourself a bit to our listeners and maybe tell them a bit about your stories, um, how it is that you... Came to know and love Jesus and uh, what you're doing right now. Ned, why don't you start?
5: Uh, at my church, they don't let me do a testimony because I just tell people I've always been a Christian. I don't remember ever not being a Christian. And, mm. you know, in, in places where they want testimonies, usually it has to be like I was a rock star or a, in a, in a, motorcycle gang i i don't have that i i grew up uh my father my grandfather baptized me i grew up in his church and uh was raised raised in the faith um that doesn't mean that i don't doubt on a daily or you know every other half hour kind of thing but um yeah i've, I've always from the womb i've been i've been a follower of christ and uh, i don't remember the other question so
3: <laughs> what are you doing now
5: Oh, oh, right. Uh, what am I doing now? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an illustrator and a graphic designer and uh, uh, been doing the Every Moment Holy books, and uh, I've got a new kids book coming out uh, very soon from University Press. They've got a new line of called IVP Kids, and I've been doing a bunch of books for them. And that's what I'm happiest about, and yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, mm. Right now, Doug and I are just going around telling people about Every Moment Holy.
3: Tell us about a couple of those children's books. Just overview them, share the titles.
5: Oh, sure. Uh, the IVP, I have uh, some kids' books through Crossway, uh, Church History ABCs and Bible History ABCs. These books are, um, I did a, a book with uh, Lucy Shaw, the poet, uh, called The Owen Hope for IVP kids. And then there's a set of three. Uh, St. Nicholas, the gift giver St. Patrick, the forgiver and St. Valentine, the kind hearted and, and St. Valentine is the new book mm. that's coming out So
3: you have this uh, square halo uh, glowing behind your head right now so what's the significance of a square halo and uh, what kind of work do you do with this place called is it Square Halo Press?
5: Square Halo Books yeah, That. Uh, so that is you yeah. have Sometimes my 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 daughter once said, "Dad, what do you do for a living?" Because I I have all all, all these different kinds of things. Um, I am the curator of a place called Square Halo Gallery, and I'm the creative director for a company called Square Halo Books. Uh, that company has been in existence for mm, about 25 years. We've got over 40 books, and um, we want to make books that are useful for equipping the saints, living saints, and the Square Halo in church art is a symbol for uh, someone who is um, living, but is a saint. So, like, uh, our logo is actually based on a mosaic from the 500s of a pope, and he's got a square halo. And the idea is we know the pope is going to be a saint because he's the pope, but he's not dead yet. So dead people like angels and saints, they get the round halo. Uh, But we have to give them a halo, but we can't give them a round halo we can't give them a triangular halo because that's a halo that the Trinity gets. So we give them a square halo and the square being a a symbol for earth. So square halo books uh, is, is for living saints. It's for folks who are uh, trying to follow Jesus now and we want to equip them for that good work.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. little church history there today. Uh, Doug, I'm, I'm not noticing a halo with you. So, uh, what's your story? It's mm. just a bit of a glow behind <laughs> me,
1: <laughs> more suffused. Um, well, I grew up uh, in a family where my parents were believers, um, and it was around the age of, well, it was. A season during my 16th year, um, that I remember becoming aware that, uh, that I was being pursued by God. Um, and I think the, the pivotal moment for me was, um, kind of turning to look at my pursuer and saying, um, I don't want to give my life to you, but I do want to want to give my life to you. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to do something about that, you're welcome to. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Um, and, you know, God was was faithful in the ensuing months to um, turn my heart toward mm-hmm. Him in a way where, where that transition happened, where I went from wanting to want uh, to belong to God to wanting to belong to God. Mm. So, um, yeah, mm. and that's, I mean, that's a very shorthand version of a of a much longer and more convoluted story in terms of, of um, my path, but it is um, – it is a, that's the most succinct mm. testimonial mm. I could give you, I mm-hmm. guess.
3: Mm-hmm. And what are you up to now?
1: Um, now I I write uh, in various genres. I've um, been writing prayers for the last several years, liturgical prayers for the Every Moment Holy series. Um, I do some screenwriting as well occasionally i dabble in poetry occasionally i'll still do some songwriting as a lyricist which um for about a dozen years uh earlier in my career songwriting was was my main mm. vocational focus um and i i do a bit of fiction writing mm. here and there as well
5: mm.
3: your little book uh, the angel knew papa and the dog is one of my favorite uh Mm. novellas it's a it's a novella yeah. right yeah it's fantastic yeah. yeah very very uh good story um I, every moment holy uh the books are published by uh rabbit room uh we get the rabbit room press, so for our listeners um who are hear the term rabbit room and you know the teletubbies or something come up with little bunnies hopping around uh, what what is, I'm actually a member of the rabbit room, I think. And, um, but I even find it hard to describe to people what it is. Uh, did you talk a little bit about the rabbit room?
1: Yeah, I think the easiest way to describe what it is, is to kind of quickly tell the story of its inception. Um, in Oxford, there is a pub called the Eagle and Child that is a, very old pub. It's been there a long time. Um, And there's a back room in the Eagle and Child that is called the Rabbit Room. And that is where the Inklings would gather on a weekly basis, as I understand it, the Inklings being um, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, um, Charles Williams, um, sometimes Dorothy Sayers, and um, other friends of theirs who were all or mostly all authors um, would get together and um, just, you know, enjoy one another's friendship, but also present to each other sometimes the, the things that they were working on and writing and get feedback from one another. So um, the recording artist and author Andrew Peterson was, um, was there once in Oxford in the Eagle and Child sitting in the rabbit room and was pondering the ways in which friendship had shaped the output um, that these various authors had created, things that have had such an enduring significance and shaping effect on um, on so many of us and on our thinking um, within the church. And he started to ask the question, well, is, that, is there some way we could replicate some semblance of that in Nashville? Because um, that uh, Nashville was Andrew's home base and still is. So he came back excited about the possibilities and talked to his brother Pete about it. And they came up with all of these plans for a destination bookstore and coffee shop and all kinds of things, but they didn't have any money, so they ended up just doing a blog instead. <laughs> um, but invited a lot of their friends who were artists, musicians, pastors, um, novelists to participate in that to contribute to it, um, and so. Uh, an online community quickly gravitated toward that formed around it, Um, and wasn't long before those people began to ask for some kind of a conference where they could get together, and so Hutchmoot, this annual conference Rabbit Room Does, was born, and um, soon uh, Rabbit Room Press began as a wing of the Rabbit Room, and and it, Rabbit Room just became something that continued to expand um, uh, in size and scope and and the various ventures. And now there is a physical um, location, Northwind Manor, in Nashville, where uh, various shows are hosted, live music, lectures, those sorts of things. It's also a place of hospitality. Um and and the Rabbit Room Press has its shipping facility and offices right next door. There um, now, there is Rabbit Room Theater, which is a new vent- venture um, creating live theater productions. Um, so it's it's just become this very vibrant community, both of people who are actively involved in creating um, redemptive works of art in various genres, whether it's film or theater or fiction or poetry or music or whatever it might be. Um, But also this larger community of people who love those things, who are moved by those things and who want to amplify the reach of those things um, and who want to, you know, to help, get those things created when funding is needed for that. And, um, so it's, yeah, it's just become, you know, it's the rabbit room is not a church does not position itself as a church. (laughs) Um, but it is a, um, a community of people who have a shared love of a certain sort of redemptive storytelling and all its many forms. Um, and who together celebrate that and um you know are are very much an active part of um, amplifying and expanding those those good works those good mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm.
3: yeah yeah, thank you for that um yeah, and listeners, if you're at all a creative type, interested in um, creating redemptive works, I would definitely encourage you to check out the rabbit room and uh get in line for the Hutchmoot. uh i know attendance there is limited i've had the privilege of going to one of those and i won't even try to describe what it is Uh, but it was it was a wonderful uh, just a wonderful experience with a very unique community um really in some ways unlike anything i've experienced before
2: Hey, friend, whether you've been a faithful listener to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast or you've just found us, I know the stories that we share here of people walking through trauma, tragedy, and major life transition can be extremely inspirational. One of the threads I hope that you see is that these people who have or are walking through pain on the podcast haven't just settled for the hurt that they've experienced. They believe that even in the midst of all their suffering, there is a way forward, that God has something more for them than just pain. And they also see the agency they have in their own lives to partner with God to take back their stories. It's that same kind of hope, the hope of real people walking through real valleys while experiencing real healing that our pain to purpose course offers. We've guided now hundreds of people just like you through all sorts of pain points and have helped them find hope and purpose through it even in the midst of it. We have countless stories of the way God has brought healing Two people through the Pain to Purpose course, but I want you to hear this one from Katie.
0: I realized that based on past hurt from just different Christian leaders that I had encountered during, because I grew up in church, that a lot of what they did to me, I was projecting onto God. So the Pain to Purpose course helped me to realize that I had a distorted view of God. It was a great moment because I got to realize that and then work to reframe my perspective of God.
2: Maybe you need help like Katie did in reframing your perspective on who God is uh, after what you've been through, or or perhaps you need to learn how to even begin to identify your hurt and how it's impacting your life right now. No matter where you are, the Pain to Purpose course will give you the tools to heal and find hope. You can sign up for the Pain to Purpose course at course.nothingiswasted.com. Again, course.nothingiswasted.com or click the links below or in the show notes if you're listening to this on a podcast platform. There you will have access to all the course videos and everything you need to start moving forward from pain into purpose. You don't have to wait another second to start the journey towards healing and wholeness. Go to course.nothingiswasted.com.
3: Thinking about the rabbit room and the inklings and, and... and how some of these works can come through collaboration uh, between friends. How did the two of you connect? And uh, how did Every Moment Holy come into being?
1: Um, There's actually an essay that I wrote about how (laughs) Ned and I connected for the Rabbit Room blog. Um, And I can't remember the title of it, so we'll find it and try to put it in the show notes intersecting lines might have been because because ned and i actually in retrospect discovered that we had this um this history we were unaware of where we had probably met had some conversations 20 something years ago um but also there were other ways that our that our lives were tied together in significant ways um but it was during the the writing of every moment Holy Volume One, um, and I'll let Ned tell part of the that story from his side and perspective. but um, when when I initially pitched the idea for this book, when I pitched it to the editor at Rabbit Room Press, I had examples of the type of artwork that I wanted that were these woodcut print um, style of art um, from an earlier time in church history. I wanted something that would evoke that, that would incorporate um, symbolism from, you know, from the thousands of years of church art that we now have to draw from. And um it was it was a process of of trying to find um, s- someone working today as an artist who was who was mining those rich veins <laughs> of of church art historically, um, both with the symbolism and the style of it. and um, we had found an artist and they were on board to do the project and a a very gifted artist um, who we worked with for, I don't know how long, months and months trying to dial in, you know, going back and forth, they would create a piece and we would give notes and they would come back again with another version of it. And it just wasn't, Landing in a place that we felt like, you know, matched up with with the style that we really wanted for this book. So in the meantime, uh, I'll let Ned take over here because he was he was kind of working a backdoor angle,
5: <laughs> not knowing it. Yeah. So I uh, I had no idea Rabbit Room existed. Uh, I had only. I, I barely knew that Andrew Peterson existed at the time. I had, his career had not lined up with my music consumption. And, uh, but my daughter had met him and said, uh, you should talk to my parents because everything that you are talking about sounds like my parents have talked about. And he asked who, who that was and said it was Ned Buster with Square Halo Books. And she, Andrew was like, I have his book. It was good making art to the glory of God. Uh, you know, I need to follow up. And so that was a nice story and that my daughter told me. And then a couple months later, I get a text that says, Andrew Peterson's in town. Do you have time to meet? So I said, well, sure. And we, we uh, met at a local uh, used bookstore, uh, Dogstar Books, and then hung out and talked all afternoon and found out there were, there were so many things that we had in common. It's just vision uh, with both of our publishing companies. And then he told me about uh, this project, Every Moment Holy. And um, I normally don't throw myself at people, but uh, I thought this is just the dream job for me. Uh, having grown up in a liturgical church— but also growing up, uh, going to kind of an independent um, Christian school, I knew the need for something like this, and uh, and it's just so much of who I am as a person. I was like, I would love to be part of this. And Andrew's like, Yeah, I think your work would be great. Let's just we'll 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 make this happen. I'll I'll have my brother call you. So I get a, a call like the following weekend. Sorry, we already have someone lined up for this. Um, but thanks. And so I was like, well, okay, well, keep me in mind. And then several months later, you know, as Doug said, uh, things weren't sinking, right? So I get a call, you know, would, would you still be willing to do this? And I said, absolutely. And then I said, well, you know, what's the time frame? And they said, well, about three months. And I about lost it because I was like, well, this is an incredibly great job that I can't do justice to in that amount of time. So I worked faster than I've ever worked and, uh, and was about halfway through all of the artwork and I, I reached out to uh, the folks at Rabbit Room. I said... Uh, do you have anyone designing this book? Because I, my fear was I was going to invest all this time and energy into making this artwork, and then the whole book would be set in, like, Comic Sans and, and papyrus or something. And then I'd be so sad um, because designing books is something I just have a passion for. And they are like, no, we don't have anyone. You want to do that too? So I ended up designing the book as well. And that, for me, was just so such a satisfying experience to be able to, to be – Invested in this this project because uh, Doug's vision for this is is just completely in line with what um, things I love and what I think something like this should look like. So it, it's it's just uh, going from good to good, better to better, with uh, all the way through the process. Now it'd be nice if we had more time, but uh, you know the Lord gives us a certain amount of days and and jobs to do, and and we've been able to pull this off. in in that. Now, since we've got Every Moment Holy One, but there's different versions of it, you can get like a a smaller version and then like a a tiny, tiny version. And each of those I've added more artwork to, because I now have had time to go back and and add stuff to.
3: Yeah, nice. Well, they're beautiful volumes. The ones that I have are leather bound, ribbon marker. Uh, So for those watching online you might be able to see uh one of the prints there and you even got the uh triangle halo there around the lamb um just just really really beautiful um and and even the the design of the pages uh just gives you plenty of white space it's not overwhelming uh it's a place to sit and contemplate um as you as you read um Really, and I, I think insightful and and helpful words. Um, Doug, could you tell us a little bit about uh, you know? I'm going to ask you later about Volume Three that's coming out uh, here soon. I think is it tomorrow? Uh, uh, November third is the official release day. November third. Okay, okay, in about a week then from when we're recording this. Um, right now, I want to ask about. Uh, volume two on death, grief, and hope. How do you, how do you go about? Uh, and, and just for just for listeners, um, just to be familiar with what this uh, contains. Uh, there's liturgies for seasons of dying, um, for when the news is bad, for long-term caregivers, uh, for pre- preparing the heart to return to God. What is His? Uh, to record for one's own funeral, uh, to begin a bedside uh, vigil, Uh, and then seasons of grieving, uh, for grieving a national tragedy, for the mourning of a funeral, uh, for the scattering of ashes, uh, for one with a litany of regrets, um, for removing one's wedding ring. Uh, So that's just a sampling of the sort of diverse and eclectic, all the moments that go into death and grief, how as an author do you, what's your process for writing these? It, it seems like it would be uh, difficult uh, to enter into all of those moments as a thinker and then condense them into words that would serve people walking through those moments. How, how do you do that? Hmm
1: yeah there there is a gravity to that process, um, and it, it was not something that i that I approached lightly. I mean, there was there was a sense of fear and trembling through that process. Um, in in order to answer your question, I should probably start by saying that that every moment, holy Volume one, um, is this wide cross-section of topics, right? Lots of daily moments or, or like changing a diaper, you know, making your morning coffee. Um, uh, and then there are some that are things like a liturgy for home repairs or a liturgy for the first hearth fire of the season or for marking a birthday. or um, So it's it's just this wide cross-section of topics um, of moments, of emotions, of of seasons, of life. And volume two very much came about not because I thought, oh, I should write a, a similar book that's focused on on topics of death, grief, and hope, but because as as I neared the end of the process of writing volume one, Um, I had this long list of potential topics that I had brainstormed that other people had contributed ideas. Ned had contributed a lot of, a lot of ideas for potential topics that I could write about. And one of those topics was a a liturgy for the morning of a funeral. Um, But I, I, as I got close to the end of the process, close to the deadline when volume one had to go to the printer, I just didn't have the emotional bandwidth to start working on a new prayer that was going to be that weighty. Um, And that I knew was going to, that it had to be, um, it had to be vetted, Right. It had to go through a process of lots of people looking at it, weighing in on it, you know, telling me what was working for them in relation to their own experience, what wasn't. And I just the process of writing volume one, even though some of the topics were were weighty topics, um, others were just more everyday kind of kind of topics. Um but the net effect for me was that it was a it was a difficult season the, the year that I spent writing Volume One. So I, I just felt too spent to approach um, as heavy a topic as a liturgy for the morning of a funeral. So you know we hit the manuscript deadline for Volume One, sent it off to the printer, but I already knew that there was this sort of gaping hole that I needed to address at some point. (laughs) Um, But it took me close to a year after finishing volume one, before I felt like I was in a a space where I could start to look at writing um, another prayer or another set of prayers. So that was the one that I immediately turned to thinking Okay, well, maybe we'll add it to the book in a subsequent printing, or at least it can exist on the everymomentholy.com website as a free download, so it would be available there for, for people who needed it. So, I started working on that prayer, and pretty quickly, within a few days of working on it, realized, oh, it's way too long. I think it was about 10 pages long. So I started looking at, okay, where am I repeating myself? What can I cut here? Couldn't find places where I was repeating myself and couldn't find anything that seemed unimportant enough that I could cut it. So then I thought, okay, well, maybe this is five different prayers. So I split that prayer into five different prayers that were each more narrowly focused and um, continued working on each of those, but, but, most of them began to expand <laughs> as well to the point that they started to be unwieldy. And at that point, I started thinking, "Okay, well, maybe there's a small book here." You know, volume one covered all these topics. Maybe this is just a a small book that with maybe twenty five prayers in it that you know covers some of these different topics related to to grieving. Um, but then I thought, oh, but what about, um, prayers for someone who is going through the process of facing their own mortality? You know, the, the follower of Jesus who gets the news that they have six months to live, maybe what, what would serve them? Um, and then I started thinking, and what about caregivers? Um, you know, the, the people who are in that season of just being utterly spent on behalf of, of, of a person that they love. Um, you know, what about prayers for them? And so the more I worked on this book, the more it expanded, the more I realized, Oh, there are so many facets to the journeys of grief that people have uh, to the journeys of of dying, of walking through that valley of the shadow that each of us will face at some point. Um, And what started out to be one prayer eventually grew into a book that took two years to write and that is 70 pages longer than volume one even though volume two is, is topically focused. Um, So that's, you know, that, that's all kind of backdrop, I guess, to, to your question. Um, But as, as that project began to evolve, and I, I was looking at topics that I knew should be in there, like a liturgy for the loss of a child, or, or, You know, a liturgy for grieving a death due to suicide or um, that these very important and very weighty topics, um, you know, sometimes they were things that were within my own experience and I could draw from my own experience, but other times they were just things that I hadn't walked through and so i knew that without community weighing in on these they w- the prayers would not become something that would serve people who were actually walking through those those seasons in the ways that we wanted to serve those people so um, in some cases, I reached out to people that I knew who had gone through those kind of things. Um, and they then walked through the process with me of they would read a draft that I had written of one of those prayers, and they would give honest feedback on what I was getting right, what I was, you know, clueless about, <laughs> Um, in some cases, even what I had written that might be taken in a hurtful way by someone who was walking through that, and so then I would I would go back and you know create a a new draft incorporating that feedback and um, send that back to them, um, and until you know until people who either were at the time walking through those particular things or had in the past walked through them until they signed off on those and said, yes, this is now in a place where it would have, where it is helpful to me in this moment or where it would have been helpful to me 10 years ago when I lost my, when I lost my child or whatever it might've been. Um, Those did not go into the finished pile, you know, that were ready to go to the printer Um, So, in some cases, I was reaching out to people asking for their help, and in other cases, it just seemed to be that God was providentially orchestrating, um, bringing uh, people into contact with me who were, you know, who I hadn't previously known, but who were walking through some of those difficult seasons. And, you know, the, the ways in which... Um, since the publication of that book, that that people have related to me how it has been meaningful and helpful to them as they've had to walk through experiences of, of grief. I know that it would not have connected in those ways, in many cases, apart from the labors of community, the willingness of of, of people who um, have suffered, who were suffering their willingness to open a window to that. Um, knowing that by doing so they would serve others who would be walking that same path after them, right? That it, that apart from those people walking alongside the, um, and becoming a part of the process of creating this book, it, it would not have landed in the place that it needed to, you know, to resonate uh, with the realities of, of, of those difficult seasons
3: that, that people are walking through. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I was just thinking as, as you're explaining all that, how, uh, Creativity and this act of uh, writing, um, and really, it's art as well. It's very poetic, and I, it's it's such an it's such a process that I think is a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ in ways that we might not always appreciate. In that you're entering in to the suffering of others, like. Christ entered into in the incarnation he he bore our sorrows and our griefs and our illnesses he entered into our experience uh to serve us and to benefit us and and then even your readers who your pre-readers you know who have who are vetting the you're vetting these prayers with who are taking their own sufferings and saying I want to serve others in suffering, use my sufferings to serve others by helping with these prayers, uh, is just, uh, I think, a really good picture of what of what Jesus has done and does uh, for us in his ministry. Uh, just So, thank you for doing that. I know it's, it's served so many, and I know there's a cost to that kind of uh, creativity that can't always be expressed or seen by those of us on the other side of the work. Um, but I, I really appreciate it. Um, Ned, uh, I want to get to your creative process in, in making the prints. Uh, but I want to ask you, not just as an illustrator, but as a reader of Doug's liturgies, how has this volume served you personally?
5: Yeah, in much more ways than I thought. I, I, just to go back to Doug's work, I think uh, it's important to to recognize the fact the the part that his wife played in all of this. That she was very intentional about creating space for Doug and helping him uh, write write the prayers. And uh, we, when my wife and I were with them during in the middle of this. He was really struggling, and we were talking about this and and uh she described just the the lengths that she would do just to create to create a good a good environment and for for which him for which he could write the the prayers and that i i think that that's one of those things that you don't really it doesn't really get acknowledged in 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 the credits or or anything like that but uh lisa was was really instrumental in um in doing uh, the good work of, of a, a wife who, who is um, caring and supporting her husband in, in his work and, and making his work possible. In the back of Every Moment Holy 2, there's actually a portrait of Doug and I uh, doing our work. I'm I'm carving and, and Doug's writing. And over our shoulders are pictures of our wives, and they are... Um, they're they're you know they're basically providing <laughs> providing that space yeah so um, uh, yeah in that picture we Lisa's holding a skull to remind Doug that we're talking about death here and mortality and um, you know they're both holding candles to light our work so I think it's important to to recognize the the strong work um, that happened behind the scenes. This book was um, a hard thing for me to. Uh, kind of enter into because normally my work, uh, my artwork is happy. Uh, like I, I, if you want dark and Gothic, I'm not your man usually. And um, uh, as, as much as Doug was going into this process with kind of fear and trepidation, I was too, because I didn't really know how I was going to enter in and create the, the artwork for it um, because my life was pretty happy. Uh and then, um, in the middle of of the process of writing the book, uh, my wife got um, the diagnosis that she had stage two breast cancer and stage four melanoma. And all of a sudden, uh, the the process really started changing for me and, um, I I felt that I could identify with what Doug was writing in ways that I, I hadn't before, um, and so I I found myself or you know either illustrating or or when I was laying the book out uh, just weeping over the, the things that Doug had written uh, because I was going through it at that time I um, and then. Uh, it's amazing how the work that cre- we create, you know ends up serving others but then can that can minister to us as well. While my wife was in the hospital um, and in hospice, we were able to use every moment holy too, to provide words when we didn't have words. Um, when you're in the middle of grief and suffering, it's hard to know what to pray. Um, many times you, you don't even know if you could, can, or should pray, you know, that, that, uh, to reach out to God is, is a hard thing. And, um, so, uh, Doug's prayers allowed us, um, not, nah, not allowed us, gave us those gifts. Um, he, he prayed for us and, and then we were able to take those prayers and, um, and use them. Uh, this past June was my 33rd anniversary. And, um, uh, I was able to take the prayer for, um, removing your wedding ring and, um, use that because how do you, how do you celebrate your anniversary when you're, when your wife is not there? It's, I, I was, I was struggling with that. And, um, because of my artwork being so symbolic, people were like, oh, you don't have to take your ring off. I was like, well, the ring is a symbol um, for being married and and that's not my privilege anymore. So I was able to take that. I had some uh, friends and fam- I had my family, my girls and and friends from church and we went to church and we we just basically just prayed that one prayer um, I think I prayed the prayer for, uh, loss of a spouse as well. And it just, it was one of those things that you realize this is what this is for. We we're making these books to create, um, help people create these, these, these sacred spaces, um, to set aside these moments as holy. They are holy, but often we don't know what to do or how to mark them. And so, um, uh, it was yeah. It's it, it was very useful, uh, very good for me to have those, this book, and um, it's not ironic, but poetic perhaps that that I created this while I was going through um, death and grief and needed the hope that, that the prayers provided.
2: Hi, friend. I don't know what brought you to Nothing Is Waste of Ministries, but if I had to guess, it was probably your own pain story. In fact, maybe you recently found us in the work that we do because you're going through some kind of trauma, tragedy, or major life transition. Uh, maybe you've recently gotten a phone call with the unexpected diagnosis, or you've lost a loved one, or you found out about your spouse's sexual betrayal. Maybe your grief is extremely fresh and right now you're wondering well, what, what do i even do how do i move forward what what am i supposed to do right now listen I, i've been there and we know how the early days after loss or receiving the diagnosis or getting that unexpected news or learning about a betrayal, or whatever it is you're facing we know that life in those moments can be extremely disorienting and, and difficult it's hard to think about anything but how to survive from minute to minute in this, uh, you know, I almost hate this term, but in this new normal, we want to help you as you enter into life, uh, That especially when it takes this different direction than what you've ever imagined. Now, we have a course called Pain to Purpose Course, and we know that it's so helpful for those who have had a, a handful of months to already process their pain, but we knew we needed something for those who have just found themselves in the middle of it, like their lives have just flipped upside down and And so we've created this new four-session mini-course called When Everything Changes, Navigating the Early Days of Loss, Trauma, and Tragedy. Now in this course, you'll hear from me as well as our Nothing Is Wasted podcast co-host, Aubrey Sampson, and our community director, Amy Sylvester. And we're gonna be talking about practical ways to support yourself during this season. We'll talk about how to lament and, and what you need in order to take the first steps forward after your life is forever changed. Now the sessions are intentionally concise because when you're processing trauma or grief, it can be very difficult to engage with a whole lot of information. But within these sessions, you'll get the encouragement to know you're not alone in in what you're feeling as well as some practical next steps on what to do in the aftermath of your pain. This isn't some theoretical idea on how to deal with what you're going through. It's real tried and true wisdom from others who have been where you are and have gone through cataclysmic shifts in their lives. I wish I would have had this kind of practical wisdom in the beginning of my own pain to purpose journey, but I'm so excited that we get to share this resource with you. It's the exact resources that I needed. And so in order to access this, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash everything changes. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash everything changes. And you can purchase this course or better yet, you can join community plus and nothingiswasted.com slash community And you can access this in addition to all of our other resources behind our content library immediately. Look, I'm so sorry for the pain that you're walking through. And I wanna encourage you that you can walk through this with hope And life. It can have hope again, even when everything changes.
3: I had the privilege of knowing uh, Leslie from your late wife from afar, um, and was able to she
5: was a big fan of yours.
3: Oh, well, it's humbling because I was a big fan of hers. Uh, we we had her on the Worthy podcast, uh, to talk about the book she co wrote with your daughter. Can Can you remind me of the title,
5: uh, Wild Things and Castles in the Sky A Guide to Choosing the Best Book for Children? Something like that. It's it's a long wordy thing, so
3: yeah, it's it's it overviews um, just really rich children's literature. And um, she was um, such a, such a joyful person uh, to know and to to be around and to be encouraged by um, and just a wonderful person. And, and she's a more wonderful person now in the presence of Christ. And um, so I, I, I've, i I know her for minutes, but uh i I miss her um i doug um I want to ask you in the process of making these books, whether it's this volume or the others, what has Jesus shown you about himself?
1: I don't think there's a i mean there's not a short, concise answer that comes to mind. The, the process with um, writing each of the three volumes, it's been very different each time. Um, and I think there, I mean, the, the answer to that question, any answer to it would be multifaceted um, in writing volume one. It was a, it was a very difficult season it was a difficult year um, it it felt like the wheels just came off of my life <laughs> during that time I mean there was tremendous stress there was um, yeah it, it was just a It was a very difficult time. Stress, self-doubt, fears. Um, And so in that process of trying to pursue the creation of something, that I had a sense that this is something I should do. This is something I should be about. But most days, to bring myself... Into my writing space to sit down and start writing um, was a battle, and I was there were many days when I was literally on my knees every few minutes in the writing process because you know I'm, tr- I'm trying to make progress on a particular prayer, but I just I don't have it in me. And so, again and again, I was just driven to that place of a recognition of my utter dependence on God. Um, if this if this thing was going to come to fruition, if I was going to make it to the end of this prayer, if I was going to make progress on a given paragraph, um, that... You know, I knew that I was the, uh, the kid who had a basket of a few little fishes and some loaves of bread. And somehow this is supposed to feed thousands of people. And I just recognized again and again and again, I had to live in that space and I had to create from that space Of recognizing that, okay, God, unless it is your good pleasure to take this nothingness that I have to offer and to bless it and break it and multiply it and distribute it how you would for the nurturing of others, it's just not going to do that. I recognize that. I don't have that in me. So, you know, so there's um in that process especially in that being a process that plays out over a long time but you experience yourself as never moving from that place you know you are always that little kid with an insufficient offering and there's no way that you can ever mistake yourself for anything else for someone who has what it takes to pull off what you're hoping this thing could become and what you what you have a sense that you're being called to to invest your time in trying to create here so i think in that there there is this revelation of Christ As the one who is laboring in us and through us, you know, that he is the one who's laboring in us to will and to do his work. He's the one who prepares in advance for us the good works that he then calls us to, and he prepares us for the doing of those good works, and then he labors through us to accomplish them. Um so in the process of writing volume one there was that sort of revelation, I think, of, of of um how it is Christ who labors in and through and around us, um and how he works through my weakness and how it's his good pleasure to take my brokenness, my inability. And when that is yielded to him, um, that, that it seems that it's his good pleasure to, to take those insufficient offerings, um, and to use them for his purposes. Um, in the, in the process of the two years that I spent writing volume two, there, there were a lot of people who were worried about me. Um, a number of people, friends, family, came to me during that process and were like, are, are you okay? I can't see how you could be okay just having to deal with all these weighty topics. Um, and that actually wasn't the case. There, there was this real gravity to the topics, but what I was finding was that um, was that rather than it being an oppressive gravity, it was a right gravity, and I recognized what I'm beginning to get an inkling of through this process, or the way I'm being changed is that I'm becoming a little better at mourning with those who mourn with, uh, with first being aware in a way that I wasn't before of how many people that I interact with on a given day are carrying a great weight, are grieving, are dealing with a sorrow are facing the loss of someone or, have lost someone and they're still, you know, dealing with that. Um, and then beginning to learn just a little bit of what it, what it might mean to walk with those people. Um, which I think begins with a recognition of how inept, I was at that, you know, as a starting point that, that, that I'm so clumsy and awkward and avoidant of anything that's emotionally difficult. Um, that, that being in this place where for two years I'm interacting with so many people who are walking through these things, um, that I can't fix, right? I can't put a band-aid on any of it. So it's this thing of learning a little more of what it means to to be like Job's friends in the first week <laughs> when they showed up and saw how great his suffering was and didn't utter a word and just sat near him. Um, silently, um, you know, and participated in his sorrow and his grief in that way, just by, um, you know, a league of woe, (laughs) we might say. (laughs) Um, um, And, you know, that then when they opened their mouths and started trying to fix things or... um, you know, come up with an explanation on behalf of God of why Job was experiencing this, then, you know, they were, not only were they no help, they were hurtful um, to Job in his grief. So, so I think um, in that, there's also, there's a revelation of Christ, of aspects of who He is. Um, you know that that command to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn comes in the context of Paul beginning to unpack um, what it means to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. You know that those things come. After that, as part of this, is what it looks like to progressively learn to offer your entire self as a living sacrifice. You know, it's that you are engaging um, with other people in the in the celebrations of their life in actually not being not being envious of what someone else you know of the blessing they've just experienced but actually rejoicing with them and of actually grieving with those who grieve of mourning with them of being willing to sit in that space as well that these are part of what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ because we see him in his short Time of ministry on earth, you know, we see how he will celebrate at the wedding and, you know, will provide the best wine that, that anyone has ever tasted here. And then he will break down weeping at the grave of his friend Lazarus, and he will have compassion on all of the suffering people that he encounters and um, yeah. So, you know, so there was, there was that kind of revelation, a s- slow dawning experiential sort of, of revelation of, of the heart of Christ um, as I worked on volume two. Um, and then volume three, which is subtitled the work of the people and um, you know, it was a very different creative process because I invited dozens of other authors, and Ned extended invitations to um, to several other artists to to create illustrations alongside the illustrations he was creating for that book. So, um, you know, I ended up co-writing twenty-something prayers with other authors. Um, and then I served as, as the editor, um, you know, for, for all of the prayers, um, at least the, the uh, initial rounds of editing. Once I signed off on them, they went to, to the rabbit room editor for his pass on them. Um, and then I wrote a number of, of prayers myself for the book, um, but it, uh, th- that process of very, just so many levels of collaboration and community creating something together and um, kind of being in the middle of of, of uh, Ned and I both being in the middle of orchestrating so much of that. I, I think there are ideas um, that I've chewed on for years about community about the body of christ and the way it should function i've i've um you know i've I've given talks at conferences that kind of explored some of those topics and um and so those those are ideas that have mattered to me for a long time so I've tried to wrestle through these ideas of well what what is the body of Christ supposed to look like how are how do we function together how do we what does it mean for us to work as one body with Christ as our head and um, and so I, I think the process of creating volume 3 in the midst of, this frenzy of collaboration happening on so many levels and in so many ways, um, for me did begin to, to give a more cohesive picture and experience. I think of um, the forward to the book um, to volume three, I, explore those topics of um of what it means that christ is is laboring for us that he's that he works for us but that he also works through us um and so i I think there were some some aspects of of um who Christ is in relation to the church that began to come into a little clearer focus for me through the process of, of working on the book and, and considering those ideas. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: yeah. Thank you for that, Doug, that I have so many thoughts on all of that. <laughs> um, uh, this whole conversation has just been serving me, um, We are, we're running up, uh, towards the end of our time together. Uh, I have a few questions I want to ask, so maybe we can go into lightning round. Um, Ned, there's probably not a short answer to this question, but. Blue.
5: The answer is blue. Blue. Okay. Wow. Okay.
3: On to Doug. Um, uh, so uh, this, this book has pictures. You've illustrated it. Um, it would be easy for someone to pick this book up and go, oh, it's, it's a book of prayers and there's some pictures thrown in to make it look nice. Um, but your work in illustrating it is really integral to how this book is valuable to serve people. And I want to ask you both a little bit about that. Ned, I'm gonna, or Doug, I'm going to follow up with this with asking you, how Ned's illustrations have served you. Uh, but Ned, what what are you trying to do as you create an illustration for these volumes?
1: There's an, a, an ongoing conversation that Ned and I have had across all three volumes about how, you know, I I mean, I told him early on that I don't want you to, to read these prayers and illustrate them that I want you to do what you do. I want you to do what you are uniquely gifted to do. I want you to create pieces of art that are visual sermons in their own right, that are meditative prayers, you know, that are these visual meditative prayers. Um, And, you know, that the the pieces that I've seen that Ned has created in the past that I love the most and immediately gravitate toward are those where he is exercising his unique artistic vision in that way. Um, So... I think that's a that's kind of a necessary setup because there is always this tension on collaborative works with with authors and and artists where um, where the artist can come in thinking, okay, my job is going to be to illustrate. And I just never wanted Ned to feel like that was his job here that that I didn't want it to be, you know, I didn't want his work on the books to be um, this. Okay, that's that's nice. That that that's also there. I wanted I wanted it. I wanted the art to exist to be doing the same work, but to be doing its own heavy lifting. Right and um, and I and I think that's that has been the case. And I think Ned had a an experience a few months ago where he was speaking somewhere, and I'll I'll let him tell that story, but it's probably a, a good segue that just illustrates how much that has been the case, that the the art he has created does stand on its own and isn't just a companion to the words, but actually you know, does does become for people a a prayerful meditation piece or a you know a sermon in its own right?
5: Yeah, it was fascinating. I was t- uh, presenting the work uh, and uh, was talking about about both books together. And uh, this one during the Q and A, one woman said, "Well, I just want you to know that um, I haven't even read book two yet. I've only been able to." Uh, Pray through the pray through the illustrations that that the words were actually too much for her, and um, she said, "Yeah, I haven't even looked at those yet," which surprised me because I I see my my job as as to serve the words, you know, like you mentioned um, Doug's uh, novella. You know, I I love that book and I love the the words that Doug has written. I want to I want to set them up and polish them and let the world see them as much as I can. So i that's how I see myself. But it has been very, very um, life-giving and, and creatively satisfying to collaborate with Doug in this way because he has seen it so much as a collaboration and not just as um, um, adornment uh, in pretty pictures to go alongside. So it, it, it's been kind of interesting to see that and to, to grow into that. And I I think that book two really does that uh, a lot more, that, that they are reflections, that they are... Um, I mean, really, if art's going to do its job, it is going to bring bring you into ideas and experiences in different ways than words are. And and we have to allow each to do... I mean, same thing with music. You don't expect music to do what visual art does, what, what words do, that, that they each sphere has its own uh unique gifts to the the receiver and uh and that's what you know what's been interesting for me to see how how that works because it it's it surprised me like I, I think of myself as that monk you know working on the book of kells and just drawing little pictures by the side um to make it pretty uh, but that to it's been wonderful to have the art and the words come together and, and create something new that's bigger and different. Um, uh, again, it's been exciting to have folks give that feedback because I, I did not expect mm, that.
3: Mm, thank you. Brothers, I came into this conversation with... Uh, a list of questions I wanted to get to. We have not exhausted those and the list has only grown. <laughs> um, I would love to talk for hours about this, but our time has uh, been exhausted. Uh, could you, could you tell us where folks could find uh, both of you in your online spaces to connect with your work? Uh,
5: for me, you can just find me at uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm uh just Ned Bustard, uh, if you want to follow me, you know that would be great to, to follow my work there. I also, uh, my website is worldsendimages.com, and then, uh, as you said, squarehalobooks.com. Um, I don't have a big online presence. Um, I
1: mean, um actually just goes to a page on the Rabbit Room store where my various books are available, so there is that. Um, I am on Instagram as Quoth Douglas, um, Q U O T H Douglas, um, and uh, and there's also an Every Moment Holy Instagram feed, um, which people can can go to. That I um, am not creating content for that. It's it's people at Rabbit Room Press who are doing that now but but people can keep up with um, whatever's happening with the every moment holy projects there
3: listeners I want to encourage you um, to visit those places online I think I think links will be in our show notes and it, if I it, I would encourage you to get all three volumes of every moment holy um, I would I would particularly encourage picking up volume 2 because it's a volume you want on hand when you need it. Um, and there are, there are things you're going to experience in life that I would love for you to have it within reach when you experience them, as opposed to waiting for UPS uh, to show up with it or asking your local bookstore to, to order you a copy. Um, sit with it even if you're not going through a, a period of death and grief right now, uh, or maybe you haven't experienced that yet in life, uh, you know, people uh, who are experiencing that. And I think the process of meditating on these, much like Doug mentioned, the process of, of writing these will help you be a better friend to, to sufferers. Um Ned and Doug, thank you both for serving us with your time and presence today. It has been a delight and a privilege to to talk with both of you.
5: Thank you, Eric. It's been a lot of fun.
2: Incredibly insightful, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Wow grateful, Eric, that you had that conversation with those two gentlemen. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to circle back on our the beginning of this episode. We started a conversation about liturgy. And I thought one of the things you said, Amy, that we didn't really get to expound on that okay. I would love to a little bit is you said it's really helpful when you don't have the words to say sometimes, or you don't know what to even have some handholds to move forward. And I think that's really important. Um, I've found that personally when it comes to, especially prayer, you know, there are times where I'm like, I, I know what I'm trying to pray for. I don't really know, but I don't necessarily have the words to express it. You know, mm-hmm. I know scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit,
3: mm-hmm.
2: he expresses those things on our behalf with yes. groans that words can't match. But, but I think it also is really helpful to, to have almost vicariously, a, you know, men and women of faith who have written things, their own expression of of lament or their own expression of uh, crying out to God or whatever it is that you can read that and even read those prayers and read them out loud as if they were your own, adopting them as your own. Mm -hmm. You know, I've done this with John Eldridge has a phenomenal app that he kind of walks you through some like guided prayers or liturgical type prayers. And that's been so helpful. I've walked laps in my neighborhood, you know, reading out loud his prayer for, of like, you know, combating spiritual warfare and different Mm -hmm. things like that, where it's just like, okay, this is really helpful language that I would not have had in my own arsenal, so to speak, but I've been equipped with this now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really helpful for us in those space. That's why liturgy, I think is a really, or one of the reasons why it's a really helpful thing, you know?
4: Yeah. I was introduced to Valley of Vision. Um, Mm. Gosh, I I think I was in college when I, um, was introduced to that. And it it was written so long ago, but yet you can see that, the, you say this a lot, Davey, the commonality of what we walk through in life mm-hmm. around uh, generations and the world is pain. And so, and then sometimes we walk through seasons where um, you're frustrated with the Lord or you're frustrated with your right. circumstance. And it's like, you almost need someone to kind of pull you into or like that conversation again. And I think right. that sometimes these resources, like Every Moment Holy, um, value value vision, like you said, John Eldridge, these resources can be so helpful to give language where we feel kind of muted where we don't have right. that. It's not bubbling out of us ourselves. Yeah. Um, so
2: that's so good. That's yeah. so good. And some of you guys may you may be like, okay, well, words isn't my thing. You know, uh-huh. I'm not a words kind of person. That's okay. That's based on temperament or background experience, you know, giftedness, whatever. But maybe there's other ways that you can express that kind of grief or lament or crying out to God. And it may be visually, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's through some kind of, uh, art, you know, we're sitting down working on some kind of a project or craft or art expression. I think that's really helpful. It, what it, what it's doing is it's, um, it's kind of simulating this idea of centering, mm-hmm. you know, quieting yourself, focusing in on one thing, really letting, the emotions that are coming through right now and expressing it onto paper. Mm-hmm. And there's something that is very, um, it, it brings a whole lot of, we call it filing away is what takes place when it, that's kind of more trauma language, but it starts to file away. It gives a, um, a, a a definite space in your mind for that particular thing. It begins to help you with your with your trauma narrative in a lot of ways by mm-hmm. doing that, expressing art. Some people like to dance. You know, uh-huh. we have a friend who she is a very expressive. Uh, like con- she did contemporary dance was her background. And so when she, especially in worship settings, she just, you can see Aww. her, she's like more fl- free flowing in that. And so that's kind of her uh-huh. expression of emotion. So I think it's really important. To know, okay, so how, how do I, when I don't have the words, uh-huh. how do I still interact with God? How do I still try to communicate these things to God?
4: Yeah, you know. and I, I think with Ned's art background, it's so appropriate for us to talk about that because it's it can be it can be a written word, but it also could be an image or a photograph, or like you say, dance, music, and that expression. The point is, is to get it out. And I share sure. that in the course that you mentioned about when everything changes, is that mm-hmm. if we don't express what's going on inside, it kind of bubbles out in other places. It bubbles out in our sleep patterns, eating patterns, our anger, emotions. Yeah. So it, letting it out in a way that is maybe unique to you um, mm. it, and, and maybe it's going for a run or maybe it's, you know, um, creating an amazing painting. And one thing that I think is so interesting is a lot of times when we let those expressions come out, it actually helps more than just you. That's right. Um, you know, if you've ever seen a moving piece of art or a song, it hits you in a certain place and it, it, the words are just there for you, or even just the the music itself um, mm. can move you to tears. It's like, that the creator is being moved and they're getting to share their expression, but right. then it's going and helping other people. And that often right. happens, often happens.
2: Yeah. The way we express our emotions is going to either be constructive or damaging. Yes. And so if we suppress those emotions, it's usually, it's going to by default come out damaging,
3: mm-hmm.
2: whether that's through our words or whether it's through our actions or what, right? But if we... Are intentional and thoughtful about not just expressing them, but how we're going to express them in a way that's constructive. Then it can be, um, there can be a multiplying effect or mm-hmm. increased impact of how constructive it is because of well, like what you just said. It ends, it ends up impacting other people, giving them language to be able, giving them a An they outlet. are ministered to by yeah. right, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, yeah, right. And so I think that there's, it's a, amazing to me to see the phenomenon of technology right now, connectedness when it comes to social media, when it comes to, I mean, back years ago, it was blogging, right? That mm-hmm. was kind of the first break into that stratosphere where you see people beginning to express certain things, but people found find solidarity in that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they're like, oh, there's other people who are feeling similar things as me, and they're putting words to it in a way I could never put words to yeah. it. It's like, whoa, oh they my feel gosh.
4: Seen. They feel seen right. and heard and understood. Yeah,
2: That's right. Our friend, Cameron Sprinkle, you guys have know the sprinkles. You know, Chris has been on here a few times. She's one of our coaches. But Cameron, if you go back and listen to their episodes of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, you'll, you'll notice this in the way Cameron communicates. He communicates in metaphors all the time. He has Aww. the best metaphors. So
4: cool.
2: For any given situation. And it, it's not... You know, at first when I first interviewed him, I thought it was like calculated, planned out, rehearsed. Now that we're in a we're in a small group with him, and he it just comes out of him, right? Wow. Because he is an artistic person, and he mm-hmm. thinks in images. He thinks in like these more. Um, he brings abstract concepts into a very visual, concrete kind of uh, concept for us. And so it it it's I'm just like amazed by the how he can express that. Christy and I talk about it all the time we're like, oh my gosh, you just gave words to something I would have never been able to mm-hmm. give words to that. But it awesome. describes exactly how I feel right there, mm-hmm. and so it is helpful to to be able to give people an outlet in that way.
4: Yeah, yeah. So That's
2: good. Well, yeah. you know, next week we've got a great conversation with Dr. Mark McNear. Um, actually, Eric has this conversation again. Uh, it's really great to have Eric helping to carry some of these interviews and Aubrey carrying some of the interviews. And so it's going to be an incredible conversation. But what what I want to draw your attention to first before we uh, let you listen to a clip of this is in a second, Amy's going to read a prayer out of, or, you know, um, yeah, I guess it is a prayer. It's a liturgical prayer out of every moment. Holy before we do that. I just want to draw your attention again to the, the five steps, taking back your story uh, call that we have regularly. I think there's only two left for this year. At this point in this conversation, I'm not sure exactly, there may only be one left for this year. So I'd love for you to join me on that. Nothingiswasted.com slash start here. It's a free call. If you're looking to take a next step or if you're looking to take your first step in your healing journey. Um, Mm -hmm. And we want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download or stream his music anywhere. You can download and stream music. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wasted Ministries. And then we'd love if you would write a review and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really would minister to us it, just to hear how this is impacting you. You can follow again, nothing is wasted ministries on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at Davey Blackburn, follow Aubrey at Aub You can follow Amy at wholehearted life with an underscore,
4: this wholehearted life, this
2: wholehearted life,
4: <laughs> <laughs> underscore,
2: <laughs> this wholehearted life, underscore. Yeah. And, uh, and then in a second, you're going to listen to a clip from Eric's conversation with Dr. Mark McNear. But Amy, to close us out, it'd be very appropriate, I think, if you would just read this prayer I will. and just read it over our our community who's listening or watching this right now.
4: Okay, this is from Every Moment Holy Volume Two, and it's um, the section called "For Trusting in Christ's Abiding Presence." Oh Jesus, who meets us in the shadow and in the sorrow, oh Jesus, who leads me into the light and bright delight. As I walk through the valley of thickening twilight or of death's dark night, let this be the sum and substance of my hope, my peace, and my rest. You are always with me. I am not alone. You will never leave me. And I will never be alone.
5: I went to a psychiatrist. Somebody referred me to a psychiatrist in New York City. And I went there and he, um, I didn't talk about trauma at all. I wasn't even aware that there was trauma. You know, I, I, I talked about depression and, and Mm -hmm. anxiety. And I talked about, um, just being scattered, you know, not being able to sit still. And so he diagnosed me with major depression and diagnosed me with anxiety, with panic attacks and ADHD. Mm -hmm. So I got Mm -hmm. my medications and started taking them and, you know, they really helped like it, you know until they didn't, (laughs) you know, Mm. they worked really well until until (laughs) they didn't work and, you know, obviously at 55 I found myself entering rehab because I needed to take more and more to Mm. get to the same level, you know, because I wasn't dealing with the root issues.